Good morning. If you guys would, please stand and worship with us.
Bible says that in his presence is the fullness of joy you may have came in here today and you may be asking yourself where is my joy you may have come in here today and you may be struggling and you may feel as if that you're going through things that are that you're never going to overcome the reality is that sometimes in life we get tired Sometimes in life, we get weary. But I want to challenge you today that when you're feeling tired and when you're feeling weary, just enter into His presence. Ask Him for that fresh wind, that wind that will revive you. It's better than any energy drink. It's better than any cup of coffee it's something that's eternal and when you're feeling as if you can't go on know that he wants to breathe into you he wants to breathe into the bible says he wants to put wind in your sails that will help propel you to get to where you're going. Father, I thank you for your promise. God, that when we're weak, that you're strong. God, that you will work all things together for our good when we love you and we're called according to your purpose. God, I pray for anyone here today that God may have walked in weary Father, through your Holy Spirit, may they feel a fresh wind, a holy anointing that says, through him I'm going to make it. Father, I pray as we go into your word today, I know in our hearts and I know in our ears to hear what you're speaking to us. God, that we will leave here different than we came in. Father, we know it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by your Spirit. We stand on that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Look at somebody and let them know that you are glad that they are at Gateway Church this morning. Now, We're so excited about what 
God is doing and uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. How many people shopped till you dropped this weekend? How many people just did it online? Oh, y'all are soft. Nobody, nobody got out and fought the crowds or not one person. You just don't want to admit it. I'll find out. You can be on that jail page. You punch somebody out. Thank you. Somebody is being uh, honest back in the back back there. How many people saw the uh, QR code on the back of the pew? Anybody see that? How many people scanned it hoping, hoping that uh, uh, the restaurant menu popped up? Anybody? Yes. Um, it's not a restaurant menu, but what it is, it is a menu uh, that if you scan that, uh, if you have an Apple phone, you can just open up your camera and put it right on there and it will work. If you have a Samsung phone, good luck. Um, it might work, it might not. I don't know. I can't help you. But... Um, It'll take you to what we call the, the, the gateway lobby. And uh, in there, you can do things. If you're new, you can click on. If you're new, guess what you would click on? I'm new. And uh, it'll ask you a series of three questions. If you haven't been put in our database, uh, you can do that. Uh, and then we ask, uh, right below that is a, uh, a place to check in. And uh, when we first started the church, we said, you know, it would be easy for us just to, you know, have little clickers and stand at the back door and, and just click off how many people come in. Uh, just so we could say, you know, we had this many people. And, um, but that's not our heart. Uh, our heart is, is to know that you're here. And so we started, uh, when we first started the church, we started doing that. And um, uh, then through COVID and, and everything, we sort of got away from it. And then we started looking for a way to do it digitally. Uh, but if you will look there, you can check in. Uh, and that will just let us know that you're here. You can pitch, pick which service it is. Uh, also, you can give on there. You can do prayer requests. Uh, all of these things are right there at your fingertips. And uh, so this will be um, uh, just a good chance for you to explore technology. And, uh, but it will help us out to let us know that, um, that you're here. Now I'm going to have to move my TV over this way just a little bit. My eyes aren't that good. We're so glad you're here. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. And uh, we are looking forward to being able to minister to you today. Fifteen years ago this month, uh, a few people had an idea of what we thought church should look like. And so we started to, to collaborate and, and to put those thoughts that were just in our head, we started to, to try to put them on paper. We started to uh, collaborate a little bit on, on what we thought and, and put it into a workable form. And the first thing that came to us was that we wanted to create a place where everyone felt welcome, a place where those who were lost those who were unchurched, those were, who were de-churched, uh, those who, who didn't even know if they even believed in God. We wanted them to, to be a place and in a place where they could come and feel at home. And so in those moments, uh, sitting around a table, uh, we started thinking about, you know, what, what are we going to, uh, what's going to be our, our mission? What's going to be our vision? Uh, what's going to be our, our motto? And so the, the line came out that said, Gateway Church, and it just simply said uh, four words, a place for you. And we began to, to think about that, and, and we thought, okay, now we've determined where we want to go. The next step is to figure out how to get there. Uh, you, you, you maybe see some place you want to go on vacation, and you look, and you think, man, you see it on TV, it'd be nice. And so the first thing you do is you pull out your, your phone and you, you put it in maps to see, okay, if we went there, how long would it take? You know, what, what roads would we have to take? How would we get there? And so that's what we started doing. We knew where we wanted to go, but we said, okay, how do we get there? And over the last two weeks, we've looked at 
some of the ideas that Gateway Church was, was founded upon. The first week we talked about how that a church should be supernatural. Uh, in other words, we believe that a church, uh, that, that people should not be able to look at a church and think that it was built by man. Uh, we want people to, to look at the church and to know that it was something supernatural and, and that God does supernatural things that, that we can't do. Uh, he turns lives around supernaturally. And, and so that was the first thing that we wanted people to know, to know that, that church is built on His love, not our love. It's not built on fear or anything else. It's built on something supernatural, which is His love. Uh, last week we looked at how that we feel the church should be relational. In other words, we believe that we should do life together. It's more than just coming in here once a week, uh, sitting in a pew, uh, acting as if uh, that we've done our deed for the week and, and then going home. Uh, I grew up in churches like that where I had no connection. And the problem was, was in those moments when I was going through something and in those times that, that, that when life became hard, I had no relationships, no community to, to, to urge me on and say, come on, you can do this. Come on, you can make it. And so we believe that a church should be relational. Today I want to look at the third thing, the third building block of what we believe that the church should be. We believe that the church should be attractional. Now, when I say attractional, and you think of the word attractive, most of us immediately think about outward appearance. Uh, for me, I look back when I uh, first met my wife. Uh, it was in, uh, well, it was in 1991, actually, uh, but you, you may not believe this. Uh, I remember meeting her in 91. She doesn't remember meeting me. And uh, every time I think about that, it hurts my feelings. Uh, I guess she was more memorable th than I was. Uh, so in her mind, we officially met in 1992. But I look back and, and I think about this beautiful, young, blonde hair, blue-eyed Pennsylvania girl. And there she was. Now, you don't know how much I had to do to be able to put that picture on the screen. Uh, but I think that the reason she allowed me to do it was because um, she knew what come next. As, uh, as hard as it is for me to swallow, now I didn't say put it up there yet. <laughs> I don't think she was attracted to that. And if you notice, I'm wearing a Kentucky Wildcat sweatshirt, a shirt, and uh, I have no idea why. Uh, I guess God was preparing me for where he was bringing me, I guess. Uh, it was prophetic. Uh, and I don't know if that's a Mario hat. I really believe it was my grandma's hat uh, that I'm wearing there. And uh, that is not Photoshopped. As hard as, it, you know, you may not believe that, but it's, it's not. That was me. And so when I look at that, uh, I say, you know what? I don't think my wife was attracted to me, my physical appearance. If she was, it's time for a new eye doctor. Um, so what was it that made her say yes to the dress? What was it that when I asked her to, to marry me, and I, I often I, I would get asked when we were in college, how did you pull that off? To be honest, I'm still asked that question today. How did you, how did you get her to say yes? You know, did, why? And so my answer always is, it's right here. It's in the heart. And so guys, if you look like that, the key is right here. And a lot of you look like you've, you've had to figure that out uh, because you're 
wife is much better looking than you are. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. When we look at Jesus all throughout the New Testament, the one thing that we see is that people were attracted to him. Men, women, children, everyone was drawn to him. Everyone was, was, they knew that there was something about him. Now, the Bible, Isaiah tells us that there was nothing in his appearance, nothing majestic, nothing that would attract people to him. So what was it? Jesus had a heart for people. Jesus understood, and Jesus cared. And that was never more evident than, than an encounter that he had with a woman at a well. Now, this is recorded in, in John chapter 4, but I want to set the scene for you. Uh, here, Jesus is in the south of Israel, and, and he is headed to Galilee. Now, the shortest distance between two points is what? Thank you. A straight line. The shortest distance, the kids were on Thanksgiving break, so they've turned their brains off. Um, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so when Jesus said, I, I need to go to Galilee, the fastest way to get there was to go through Samaria. Now, the Bible is very specific, and it says that Jesus purposed in his heart to go that way. Jesus purposed in his heart to go that way. Now, you, you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal about that is, is that, that the Jews never traveled through Samaria. They would go all the way around Samaria to get to where they were going, even though it took longer. And the reason was because the Jews and Samaritans did not hang out together. But the Bible says that Jesus purposed in his heart to go that way. So Jesus would go through Samaria... He would come to this well. His disciples left him there. They went to get lunch. And when Jesus is there, he, he looks at this woman. And he says, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? Now, this woman could not believe what she was hearing. Now, it wasn't because she didn't think or thought that Jesus really wasn't thirsty. I mean, he had just traveled all of this way. But the reason that, that she couldn't believe what she was hearing was because here this Jew was talking to a Samaritan. Not only a Samaritan, but to a Samaritan woman. And she's thinking, this, is, this isn't real. This isn't how we relate to each other. Why are you asking me? Why are you talking to me? And Jesus said, if you know, knew who you were talking to, you would ask for living water. So the conversation in John chapter 4 continues. And he would eventually reveal to her who he was. And he would look at her. And she looked at him and she said, Well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And in that moment, Jesus looked back at her and said, You're talking to him. And the Bible says that she ran into the city. And she said, come hear a man. Come hear a man that knows everything. Come hear a man that knows my past. 
Come here a man that I believe is Christ. So we learned that they all ran to the well. And when they got to the well, Jesus began to reveal himself and, and he would teach them. And in that moment, in that encounter, the entire community was changed. They believed in him. And I believe that the well is a representation of the local church. I believe that every person needs a well in their life. And so when we look at at a church being attractional, I believe that in this story in John chapter 4, that we can look at this encounter and we can see what makes the same qualities that Jesus had when he walked this earth, that made people to be drawn to him, that, uh, that caused people to be attracted to him. There's four qualities that I believe that were evident in Jesus that should be evident in the church. The first thing is, is we need to be a church that embraces all. A church that embraces all. This is so important. When we created Gateway, we said it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter uh, where you are on the social economic scale. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter uh, what denomination you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. We want Gateway to be a place that embraces you. We want to be a group of people that, that when you come together, that the love is evident. Now, I might mess up some people's theology, but I can't find anywhere in Scripture where there's going to be a a Baptist heaven and a Methodist heaven and a Church of Christ heaven and a Pentecostal heaven. I don't see that anywhere. But what I do see is that when we get there, we're going to worship together. What I do see is that the only prerequisite for entering into His presence throughout eternity is that you ask for forgiveness of your sin. And that that sin that separates you from him is covered by the blood of Jesus. And you're reconciled to him. That's all. And when God looks at us and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in. We're going to go in together and we're going to worship him together. And if we're going to worship him together in heaven, then we felt that we should be able to do it while we're here on earth. So in the context of this encounter, uh, to use the word Samaritan was a, was a racial slur. But Jesus bridged that when he met this woman at the well. He bridged it by focusing on the familiar and not the foreign. Uh, S- Samaritans were, were half-breed Jews. They were Jewish and they were Assyrian. And because that happened, uh, there was a, a disconnect there. There was something foreign But Jesus chose not to focus on that. Jesus focused on the familiar. Uh, There are seven major denominations that all share the same tenets of faith. And we've purposed in our heart that we're going to focus on Jesus, Him crucified, buried, rose again, sitting on the right hand of God for you and for me. We're going to focus on the Word of God that, that He gave us to lead us and to guide us. And we're going to connect with each other because of the familiar. Uh, The Samaritans were barred from going to Jerusalem to worship. 
But that didn't matter in this case. How many of you have more than one child? How many like me said one and done? Um, but when you look at your children, uh, they're all different. They have different personalities. They have different strengths. They have different weaknesses. But, but that doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. You love them all equally. And, and Jesus sees the woman at the well, and he focuses on what's familiar. Uh, we read in verse 9 of John chapter 4. It says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. When we look at this, this woman is amazed. But what did Jesus understand? Well, what Jesus was saying was, and what Jesus knew, was that everyone had something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. And so when you look at yourself, and when we look at people, we understand that, that there are things that everyone has to offer. Jesus valued that. And if Jesus values us, then we believe that we should value one another. We're not called to, to make clones. We're called to make disciples or Christ followers. We're not here to, to build a social club where we say, well, if you look like us, and if you talk like us, and if you worship like us, then you can be part of us. That's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to be part of the family. And so as a church... We're going to focus on the familiar and not the foreign. We're all the body of Christ, but we all have different jobs, different responsibilities, different gifts. The Bible tells us of, if we're all the body of Christ, but what would it be like if we were just one big eye? What would it be like if we didn't have different parts to do different things, if we were all exactly the same? It'd be boring. We're not watering down Scripture, but what we're doing is, is we're saying this is what Jesus did. We're choosing a, a, to focus on the familiar and not the foreign. We value people and we don't devalue them. And we believe that that is very attractional because everyone is looking for a place where they can come in and where they can feel the love of God and they can feel the love of people. And by valuing everyone, it makes the church attractive just as Jesus was. The second quality is building families. This is one of the key cornerstones of Gateway Church. Building families. Why do we believe that it's so important to build healthy families? Because having a healthy family is the longing of every person's heart. I, I get saddened, around, especially around Thanksgiving and Christmas, when I see people who, who maybe they, they don't have good relationships with their family, and it just seems like something is missing. It seems like that there's something there that, that, that is just not right. Why is that? Because every person desires and longs for a healthy family. Every person wants to have a healthy family. A healthy family is priceless. Coming from the home of a pastor... And then going into ministry and being into ministry almost uh, 25 years. All I've ever known, honestly, are, are people. And when you're a pastor, you, you, you hear a lot of people's problems and you, and you hear a lot of their pain. And I begin to realize that most people's pain comes from 
family. And Jesus said in verse 18 of John chapter 4, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. In this moment, when we look at this and we think, man, Jesus is just letting her have it because of her past. Jesus is just telling her, I know what your past is like. You're telling me the truth. But when I look at that, I see that Jesus is not just pointing out her past, but he's pointing out her pain. Because I believe that God cares more about your pain than he does your past. And when Jesus looked at this woman... And he says, I know your source of pain. I know your source of shame. I know the rejection that you feel and that you felt. He knew that her pain came from what she had experienced in the context of family. You see, the devil uses and attacks our families to weaken us, to cripple us, because he wants us to be a dysfunctional family. This woman at the well, she was dysfunctional. You say, well, pastor, how do you know? Well, she came to get water at noon. That's not when they normally got water. They would get water early in the morning and late in the evening. And tradition tells us that they would gather to get water, but it was also a social time. It was when everybody got together just to, to, to shoot the breeze, sort of like we do in the cafe down here. You know, we, we've just made a place where we could connect. And, and that's what the well was used for. They were doing, serving multiple purposes. They were getting the water that they needed, but they were connecting and, and, and talking with their neighbors and, and people. They, they, they wanted that time every day. But she didn't go at noon. Because of her shame and because of her rejection, because of her, her pain, she was isolated. But what I want you to see in this story is, is that Jesus knew exactly when and exactly where to meet her. And when he got there, he did know her past, but he also knew her pain. And the church is here to help make unhealthy families healthy. To make dysfunctional families functional. Uh, that's why that we do things. And that's why that, that, that our kids' ministry and, and our youth ministry, uh, that's why we put so much time and effort into it. Because we understand that, that, that that's part of having a healthy family. Uh, just a, a, a plug for every year, for the last few years, we have uh, done what we call a parents' night out. And in that night, it's a night, it's going to be December the 11th. It's a Saturday night. And starting at 5.30, you can bring your kids here and drop them off. And we have people who, uh, I guess, are glutton for punishment. Uh, they've agreed that they're going to, to take your children and watch them for an evening so that you can uh, go out with your spouse or, or you can go Christmas shopping or, or you can just go spend some time alone uh, just without distractions and without, you know, kids pulling on your pant leg and saying, Mommy, 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 or Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Why do we do that? Because we understand that those moments together, or those moments, maybe if you're a single parent, those moments alone are valuable for your sanity. And how many people know that when you are sane, it's a lot easier to have a functional family? And so we do things like that. Uh, we do it because we understand that when something is broken or disabled, 
if it doesn't function right. If you're hurting and you never go to the doctor, you never get fixed. When I was much younger, I was playing softball. I got hit with a line drive on the top of my foot. And my wife told me over and over again, you need to go to the doctor. And I told her over and over again, I'm a man. I'm not going to the doctor. In other words, I don't like doctors. So I didn't go. Probably 20 years ago. To this day, top of my foot, I can tell you when it's going to rain, I'm sounding old. My grandparents used to say that. Well, it's going to rain. I said, how do you know? I can feel it in my joints. I can feel it in my bones. And I thought, you just watched the weather forecast. I thought they were crazy. Now I know. But there's times that it hurts so bad and that I limp. It's not functioning right. A lot of us limp through life because of pain from dysfunctional families. We read in the Bible about a, a guy who was dropped as a baby. And he walked with a limp the rest of his life. And the devil will use that avenue, an unhealthy family. If families are unhealthy, then it spills over into the church. If families are unhealthy, then the churches are unhealthy. But one of our core values is is that healthy families equal a healthy church. You say, well, how do I I get a healthy family? Well, Well, one way is is that you build your house on rock and not on sand. There's a parable in in the Bible about two different foundations. One stood and one didn't. One was built on conviction and, and one was built on culture. You see, you can't build your marriage or your family or your parenting on the culture of this world. But your marriage and your family and your parenting has to be built on the convictions in the Word of God. And as a church, we're determined to help teach you that. Once you have a healthy family, then you can become a force in this earth. And once you have a healthy family, then we have a healthy church. You know what true revival is? Revival is is when one family who's on fire reaches another family. And then that family reaches someone else. And and then that family reaches someone else. And, And our prayer needs to be, God, bring us at least one family every week who we can reach. One family that will come to Christ. One family that says, I want to be part of the community. One family that says, we're dysfunctional, but we want to be healed. One family. And then that family can reach someone else. Can you imagine what our community would look like if every husband was loving his wife like Christ loved the church? If every wife was totally committed and submitted to her husband? If our parenting really reflected the gospel of Jesus... We didn't provoke our children to anger, but we nurtured them and disciplined them and admonished them after the admonition of the Lord. Could you imagine if we could just get it right? The devil would tremble. Healthy family equals healthy church. We believe that it's an aspect and a part of having an attractive church because having a healthy family is attractive. You want to raise your children. and You want them to be raised Grow up loving God. Let them be raised in a church who resembles that. Make it a priority. You know, when I was, and and let me say this. Make it a priority not because you think that it's the religious thing to do. A lot of us were raised that, that we were drugged to church. 
because it's what mom and dad wanted to do and we hated every minute of it. That's not, what, that's not attractive. But we want to be a church where people make it a priority because they want to be here. Because they miss it when they're not. Listen, when we go on vacation, uh, one Sunday away is okay. By the time that second Sunday comes around, I'm missing my family. Why? Because this is a place where I connect. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. We want you to feel that connection. And it comes through families. The third thing is, is we want to transform community. We want to help people. You see, this woman at the well, she wasn't just needing natural water. I mean, she thought that's what she was coming for. And she needed natural water, but she also needed spiritual water. And bottled water and living water, both are essential to transforming community. You've heard of things like pay it forward or random acts of kindness. Those are important. Uh, just last week, we took uh, about 10 boxes of food to homes right around this church. And it was just filled with food. And we put it on their porch with a, with a letter, or, or if they were outside, we, we told them what we were doing. And, and uh, a few of them said, hey, you know, are you taking donations? Can we give you some money? And we said, no, it's not what it's about. We're not doing this. Because we believe that, that we should have a church that, that when we go to the community, that our hands are open, but it's not, they're not open to receive. They're open to give. And, and we allow them to know, if you don't need this, if you know someone who needs it worse than you do, pass it along. You say, why did you do that? Because it's an avenue to, to, to help people. It's an avenue to reach people. When you meet their physical need, when you show them that you care, that, that you care. I mean, you look at Jesus, he fed 5,000, then he fed 4,000. Why did he do that? Because he knew they were hungry. He knew that they needed food. And he understood that giving them food was a way to giving them something more. Because he realized that that food and that water that he provided would only last for so long. Because no matter how much you drink, no matter how much you eat, there will come a point in a time. Now, I know after Thanksgiving meal, you think, I'll never be hungry again. But then by Thursday night, you're going back and, you know, warming up turkey and warming up ham. By Friday, you're sick of turkey and ham and you're ordering pizza. Uh, you think, but when you're in that moment, you think, I'll never be thirsty, I'll never be hungry again. But you are. Why? Because that's the way the body works. And Jesus understood there's going to be a time that, that this food and this water is not going to give you everything that you need. And he understood that they needed something more. They needed living water. He met their physical need. Then he met their spiritual need. And when you do that, and when you do both, you're allowing the church to be an avenue that the community can be transformed. Um, we're in the middle of a uh, Christmas outreach where we have over 25, 26 kids uh, from this area that we're providing Christmas for. Why are you doing that? Because we want the people to know that we're a church who loves them. And we want them to know that there's a God that cares about them. And so when we meet that need, they see that we're serious. And it's not through anything that we do, but it's through the love of God. And it gives us an avenue. Uh, we've had people contact us since our uh, uh, trunk or treat. 
and they've asked, you know, could you help me pray about this? Or where's your church? What time are your services? We want to come. Why? Because they saw that we cared. And that's the key to transforming community. John chapter 4, verse 14. It says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in, a, in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. What is transforming community? Transforming community is making people rich where they are poor. Because everyone is poor in some aspect of their life. You may look at someone and think, well, well, they have a lot of money, but they could be poor in love. You could look at someone and say, well, man, they've got good health, but they could be poor in parenting. They could be poor in, in, in their marriage. Transforming community is, is more than giving them the water that they need, though. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What is that verse telling us? It's telling us that Jesus emptied himself. Even though he was rich, he became poor. Even though that, that he was rich in everything, he became poor. Why? Because of us. So that we could have and be reconciled to Christ. Wherever God has made you rich, take that and give. Don't keep it to yourself. Uh, allow... If you're rich in marriage, maybe you've been married 25, 30 years, and, and you and your spouse never fight, and you've raised children, and you've been successful in that, share it with others. Find someone who may be struggling in their marriage. Find someone and, and pour into them. Uh, maybe you're rich in, in the fact that maybe you were once addicted to, to drugs or to alcohol, and, and God has, has helped you become rich in that. Find somebody that's struggling in that area, and pour into them. Maybe you're rich in finances. Take those and, and pour them into the work of the Lord, caring for the widows and the fatherless, as the Bible tells us to do. Wherever you are rich, empty yourself and make someone else rich. That's what Jesus did. It says he emptied himself, made himself poor so that we could become rich. Peter did the same thing, Acts chapter 3, verse 6. So then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter said, I don't have even what you're asking for or what you think you need. He said, but what I do have I'm going to give you. Transforming communities means that, that you're willing to, to pass out bottled water and living water. The fourth thing that we believe a church should do is we should make disciples. We should make disciples. We should be attempting to have people who have a, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. In this story, that's exactly what happened. She went from one part of her journey to becoming a disciple. John chapter 4, verse 25 said, I know the Messiah is coming. And then in the verse immediately following, Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And we want to be a church who hear him and see him for who he is. You see, there's two issues in this story. This woman at the well, there's two issues. Number one is that she has a hardship. And then there's Jesus' lordship.
And we want to be a church that, that chooses him for who he is and not just what he does. Jesus comes to help us in our hardships. Listen, there are times that we're going through things and we cry out to God and, and we know that it's only through him that that hardship and that problem and that issue has been resolved or that need has been met. We've had it happen. But the problem is, is that a lot of times we run to Jesus in our hardships and then we fail to see his lordship. His title is Lord and Savior. Lord is who he is and Savior is what he does. And a real disciple follows Christ, not just for what he does, but for who he is. Real disciples aren't just believers. They see him and hear him for who he is. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he said, God said, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? He's saying, you, you don't understand who I really am. You're saying the, the, the right things with your mouth, but you're not doing the right things. There's people who choose Christ just because of their hardship. And that's fine. But we also have to be a church that allows people to know and leads them into knowing that when that hardship fades, that his lordship doesn't. That his lordship is forever. And we want to be a church where we can be where people have a personal encounter with him. Listen, this is not just a couple of hours on Sunday. We don't just get together to, for, for me to get up here and speak for 40 or 45 minutes and for the singers to sing and so that we can just all go home. When we come together, we want to have a personal encounter with him because that's the only way our life changes. Church is being a place that moves people from believers to disciples. The community in this passage of Scripture, they believed in him, but Jesus wanted something more. He wanted something more. He wanted to transform them. We believe that the church is a vehicle that, that will help grow people from a believer to a disciple, that will see him for who he is, hear him for what he says. He loves us and he wants to meet our hardships, but he is our Lord. And when we look at this Story at the well. I believe that the well is representative of the local church. I believe that the local church should be a place where living water is flowing. It was at that well that this woman had an encounter with Jesus. It was at that well that the Samaritan woman Listen, there's a couple of things I want you to notice about this story. She went to the well that day just thinking that it was just another trip to the well to get water. When she started her journey to the well, she had no idea what was in store for her. She was just going to get water. It was just another day. Another day that she was going to deal with her pain, deal with her shame, deal with, with, with all the, the, the things of her past and, and think that she would never be able to get on the other side of them. She had no idea. She didn't go to the well looking for Jesus. But Jesus went to the well looking for her. He purposed in his heart 
You may have got up this morning and you may say, well, I'm just going to go do what I do. I'm going to go to church because it's what I'm supposed to do or, or I'm going to go to church because I haven't been in a long time or, or whatever your reason. But, but too often we come to church and we don't realize the Bible tells us that when two or three are gathered together, that He's here in our midst. You may not have came looking for Him, but He's here looking for you. And He says, I know your past, and I don't care. I know your pain, and I'm here to heal it. This woman didn't come looking for Jesus. Jesus had planned an encounter that would change her life forever. The second thing I want you to notice about this story is, is that it wasn't until her encounter with Jesus that her life changed. You see, a lot of times we think that we've got to get everything in line and we've got to get everything fixed up and then we can have an encounter with Jesus. That's not how it works. We see in this story that the encounter with Jesus happened in the middle of her pain in the middle of her shame, in the middle of her isolation, in the middle of what she was going through, she came to that well. She wasn't made whole before she got there. But she was made whole once she had the encounter. And you may be here today and you may think, well, I've got to get everything worked out and, and set up and, and then, God, I'll be ready. And what God is saying is, is saying, He's saying, listen, you don't have to do it that way. Actually, you can't do it that way. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. And there's nothing that we have to do. He says, just believe. And this woman left the well knowing that her life was changed forever. She came to that well not wanting to talk to people. After she had an encounter with Jesus, she wanted to tell everybody. She didn't care. She wasn't trying to hide anymore. She said, my life has been changed. He's here today. He wants to change your life. He wants you to have an encounter with Him. You've come to the well. You've come to, hopefully, the place where the living water is flowing. He's here. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I have to ask this morning, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I walked in here this morning with hurt, with pain, with doubt, with fear. But I want an encounter with Him. If that's you, would you just... Be man or woman enough just to slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I, I need an encounter. Thank you. I need an encounter. Is there someone else? I need an encounter with him. I'm tired of going to the well at noon. I'm tired of dealing with the pain and the shame. I'm tired of dealing with the, the rejection. I just need an encounter with him. Anyone else? I need an encounter. The awesome thing about God is He says that when we come in 
and come before him. And we ask him to come into our hearts to forgive us of our wrongdoings that he creates in us and that we become a new creation. That old things are passed away. All things become new. That's never more evident in this story in John chapter 4. She had an encounter. Her life was changed. The people around her, their lives were changed. And she didn't walk in shame anymore. But she walked in the beauty of knowing that the encounter that she had with Jesus changed her life forever. I'm going to ask you to stand. Here's the reality in the the other side of this story at the well. Because when this opportunity and this encounter took place, it could have went one of two ways. She could have just rejected it. She could have looked at Jesus and said, I'm I'm, I'm not, it's not for me. I'm not buying it. Sadly, that could have been a scenario that played out. The other scenario that played out, the happy ending, was that she heard what he had to say. She reacted. So if you're here today and you raised your hand, I want you to know that God loves you. That he cares about you. You may, you may have been told that your whole life, but sometimes in the middle of hardships, it's easy to forget. Sometimes we're told that, but we don't really, truly ever grab a hold of what it really means. And so as we pray today, once again, this altar is always open. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you, would love to, to bear your burden, would love to cry with you or laugh with you, because that's what the church is all about. So this altar is open. But if you raise your hand, I want you to know that it's, it's easy as saying, Christ, I want to have an encounter with you just like that woman at the well. I believe in you. I believe. Forgive me. Thank you for not holding my past against me. Thank you for for reconciling me, putting me back where I'm supposed to be. And you just tell him that, and he does it. That's the God that we serve. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, examine yourself, examine your heart. Only you know where you are. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to many people right now. Don't reject Him. Don't reject Him. Hear what He has to say. Act upon what He has to say. And I promise you, just like the woman of the well, you'll leave here telling people, you need to come meet a man who's changed my life forever. Father, I come before you right now. God, you see every person. 
God, you know their situation, you know their story, you know their hurt, you know their pain, you know their fear. God, you know their past. God, you don't care. God, what you care about is what they're going through and the scars in their life. Father, I pray right now as we come before you that if there's anyone here today or anyone listening today who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today, today will be the day that they have an encounter with you that would change their life forever. God, I know that you want to do things that we can't ever hope, dream, or imagine. You want to do those things so in our lives. In Father, I pray peace, that as we, as a church, me, my victory, my continue to be your attractive to me, so the world. God, I pray that you will enable us and empower us to be a place where the living water flows. God, that when people come in, that they're healed. God, when people come in, that that their hurts and their pain and their shame, God is covered. Father, may we continue to, to seek you with everything that we have. God, I pray that our hearts and our ears have heard what you're speaking to us today. And God, that we leave here different than we came in. God, as we continue to have questions, and God, as we continue to, to seek out your will for our lives, God, may we continue to simply want more of you. God, may no matter where we are, may we not stand still. But God, may we continue to take a next step. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. For those lives that you've changed. For the things that you've done that only you can do supernaturally. Thank you, Father. Can you sing this song? Holy anointing, the power of your presence, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out.
My prayer is, is that something was said today that spoke to your heart. The Bible tells us that when God does something, that, that, that we are overcomers by the power of our testimony. So if God did something in your heart, He did something in your life, or maybe He just, you know, sometimes we, we hear things and it just leads to more questions. And that's okay. God's not scared about our questions. But my prayer is, is that, that you continue to take steps. That you continue to know and, and, and to seek Him out for yourself. And in that same page, there's a, uh, that web page, there's a, a place that says a connect card. And on that card, you can digitally fill out, tell us what God has done in your life. There's also the physical cards that are in the back of the pews or out uh, in the lobby. But let us know. Let us know how we can help pray with you or how that we can connect with you because we're all in this together and we want nothing more than to see you doing and being all God's called you to be. Thank you for being here. Don't forget, um, this is the last Sunday for uh, our, our building fund drive uh, where the funds are being matched. Uh, there's boxes at the back. You can do that online. You can do that from the same page, uh, the Gateway Virtual Lobby. We love you. We pray that you have a great, great, great Sunday. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, we were honored and privileged to have you with us. We'll see you. Don't forget Life Groups uh, on Wednesday.